Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by Tabitha and Katie. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. Welcome back to Crimes and Cocktails. We're continuing our spooky season as we take a deeper dive into the backstories of some of Halloween's cult classic horror movies. Yep, and I think we decided on... I already forgot. Morbid movie murders or something like that. Yeah, (laughs) it was like a triple M. Yeah, we're going to triple triple M, you know. Some say triple X, we went triple M. So today (laughs) we are going to talk about the true story behind, or what I should say inspired, the 1976 horror movie Eaten Alive, which is directed by Toby Hooper. And if you are familiar with horror movies of the 70s and 80s, you'll know Hooper also uh, decorated directed <laughs> decorated with blood he might have <laughs> decorated too on the set i don't know but he de- oh my gosh i keep saying decorated he directed the original 1974 texas chainsaw massacre and the 1982 poltergeist so i'm sure a lot of you guys have seen that so he's also directed those and i also found this interesting when i was looking into movies and such a little side note about him he was present at the college on August 1st, 1966, when Charles Whitman opened fire on random people from the university's clock tower um, and non-fatally shooting a police officer that was close by Hooper. So I I don't know. I thought that was interesting. We may cover that case at some point um, later down the line. But yeah, so this guy is... I guess has multiple things to be inspired of. This movie is not one of my uh, top 10 horror movies to watch that I would suggest. Like I just kind of picked this movie because the backstory is very interesting to me, but as far as like the movie itself, um, (laughs) I'm going to give it a very low rating. (laughs) It's very bad acting. It's like seventies porn meets seventies gore meets, I don't know quite what's going <laughs> on, but you know, maybe it's a cult classic. I, I don't know. I'd actually never really heard of it until I think I was like scrolling through like Amazon prime and going through like old horror movies and found something there. Um, but yeah, like it's also something that growing up, my nightmares were filled with alligators. So I think that that also is why I'm like, this is definitely not a movie I would have chosen to watch. Like, like after that. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, we grew up in California. And I, I was terrified of alligators when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, terrified. I remember we were at the Phoenix Zoo. I, we were living in Phoenix. And with some family friends. And we, there's a part at the Phoenix Zoo, if anybody who's been there, I don't know if it's still like this, but it was in the 90s, where you cross this bridge to get in, and underneath the bridge is where the alligator enclosure is. And so, like, obviously, it's like a very stable bridge. It's not like you're crossing some rickety thing. But you would look down, and you would see them, and I'd be like, oh, my God, we're going to die. And we were going to go to go look at the alligators, and I did not want to go in, and my mom was trying to make me. And so I, like, (laughs) when she wasn't paying attention – decided to wait out in the front instead but then they thought i was missing oh because um, <laughs> i didn't tell anybody and then like our family friend like one of those kids um he came out and he found me and like brought me back in there and he was like look they're smiling they're smiling at you they're happy to see you uh, and they just like are there like with their giant fangs giant. And I was, like, they're happy to see lunch <laughs> So when I was a kid, so my grandpa, he really likes horror movies. Like he's all about, I mean, he probably even knows this movie to be honest, because this was his time. 
But I mean, he was, he showed me Night of the Living Dead. Like, uh, he was into, I don't know, everything you can think of. Um, I think he even like, yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses. I remember him watching that when I was a kid. Uh, but sometimes he would, so my brothers and I, we would go stay with my grandparents at least one weekend a month. And this would give my parents time to go have date nights, hang out with friends, and us time to spend with our grandparents. And I loved it. Like, I loved it so much. But my grandpa was a night owl. So we'd go to bed around nine. And my grandpa would stay up late, like watching movies. And sometimes I would sneak downstairs to see what he was watching. Um, <laughs> always regretted that. And I remember this one time he was watching something. And I, to this day, don't know what the movie was. So if you guys recognize this, maybe you can tell me what it was. But there was some like house. Um, and I think this movie had to have been filmed in the 90s or early 2000s. I'm not sure. But there was like. It was at night. There was a house, like in a like a mobile park or something like that, and there was like a pond. And I remember, like a guy was like looking in the pond, and like one of the friends like fell in the pond, and then an alligator came up and like you know pulled him under the water, right? And I saw enough to be terrified and like ran back to bed. And <laughs> for years, I had this nightmare that an alligator was going to escape the circus when it came to town or the fair and was going to like march over to our house and climb up those stairs and come to my room and eat me. So I would sleep with like a pillow barricade along the edge of my bed, like probably for three years I did that. So I was definitely like really scared of alligators, which is ironic that now I live in like the alligator capital of America. But, and I have now held baby alligators and gone on the alligator tours. So, you know, they're cute when they're little. They're very cute when they're little. They're super, super cute when they're little. And I guess I'm just like confronting my fears or something. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we get into all this 70s alligator fun gore, let's start off with a drink. (laughs) All right. So we're going to call this the spicy alligator. So in a shaker, you're gonna, and I've been on like a spicy kick lately, so you're going to take a scoop of ice. You're going to add two ounces of jalapeno infused tequila. I always go with silver, never gold. Um, you can infuse the tequila yourself by slicing up jalapenos and letting them sit in the tequila for a few hours and then straining. Or you can go buy some of your own. It's already pre-infused like uh, Tanteo jalapeno tequila. Um, Then you're going to add two ounces of cucumber juice, which you can buy, or you can be, this is a cheaper and cost effective way to do it is just blend up cucumbers and then strain it or use a juicer. It's great. It's a fancy cocktail. I get it, but. Sounds like one I would make. (laughs) It's so refreshing. And then you're going to add about a half ounce of agave and then a half ounce of melon liqueur and two lime wedges, squeeze and drop, and shake what your mama gave you, and strain and pour into a chilled, ice-filled glass with a tahini rim, because of course everything spicy needs tahini on it, and then you're going to garnish with a lime wedge and a slice of jalapeno, and you can top it off with a little ounce of sparkling water. Sounds delicious. It sounds delicious. I'm not drinking it right now because I'm slightly getting over a cold, but I'm salivating thinking about it. <laughs> I'm like, God damn, I want that drink. There's something All right. spicy margarita that you need. Like, I was somewhere recently where my coworkers and I, we all wanted spicy margaritas and we, and we ordered them. But like mm-hmm. this place clearly had never made a spicy margarita before because what came out uh. was supposedly a margarita it basically was a bunch of tequila with i don't know what kind of sweet and sour in it and chunks i'm talking chunks of like the pickled jalapenos that you'd put on like nachos what the fuck were in it. It <laughs> they're not even spicy disgusting <laughs> so nasty it was so gross and i remember like i took a sip and all i could taste was like the alcohol and then like a chunk and i was like Oh God. But I was thinking that like, I'm not going to be that person that complains. And then everyone else was like looking around at their margaritas, like 
Uh, no and then we're like i'm sorry and i remember the waitress was like oh like well what's wrong with it like can you tell me what's wrong so i i can tell the bartender and i'm like i literally like said it i didn't mean to but i was like i don't know where to start (laughs) dude i i don't know like i i think because we did bartend before too it's like very easy to tell when a drink isn't balanced correctly and it's just a whole hot fucking mess. And it's not like I'm being like, I wasn't trying to be a, like a, a drink snob. This was just, no, it was bad. And you know, you think about it, you pay like 13 bucks for something like this. Like you want to be able to enjoy it. Usually I won't say anything. I'm just like, okay, alcohol is alcohol. I'll drink it. But if it's so horrible that it doesn't even resemble what it's supposed to be, like a margarita, I think is one of the most simple, common yeah. alcoholic beverages you can order. Like if you, if it's wrong, like send that shit back. Yeah, don't even try. Like, clearly, someone who didn't know what they're doing made it, and I hope they learn. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, this one is a good one, and I really feel like you can't fuck it up. So, when I say get jalapenos, I mean go get like a raw jalapeno from the produce section. One that you can't touch (laughs) your eyes after you cut it. Yeah, I mean, that must take a lot. Yeah. So if you'd like this recipe, you can always see it on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash crimes and cocktails, our Instagram, which is at crimes and cocktails, um, or you can email us um, or not. Can't, you can email us for the recipe, I guess, but I mean, you can always email us your stories, <laughs> um, any suggestions you have. Yeah, I'm like, go to Instagram, refer to above. Um <laughs> No, but our email as is per my message. <laughs> I know, as per <laughs> our last meeting. Um, but yeah, email us at crimes.cocktails at gmail.com. Um, we are in the middle of spooky season, so we're still doing um, spooky stories. So we're going to get that going. And um, feel free to email us yours. We need to record those. <laughs> we do need to record those. I was thinking in my head as I was all, oh, those are coming. <laughs> We have a lot going on right now. Like, one of our friends is getting married this week. I'm flying out to California for that. Um, Obviously, it's Halloween, and so we got to do all the shenanigans for Halloween. And then Katie just moved. I'm in the middle of moving. Like, as if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning. (laughs) It's been a lot. It's been a lot. You guys know that we always have something. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm sure Um, that people who listen to us, though, feel the same way. Like, I was just thinking today, there's not enough hours in the day. Like, I went to work. I worked out. I had to leave work early to, like, do this hair appointment. And then we're recording. Then eating dinner. And I'm, like, trying to, like, wolf down my dinner so we can record. And I'm, like, there's just not enough hours. Like, no, there's not. And then we're in different time zones, so we're planning around that. And not for long, not for though. Long. Not for long. <laughs> Coming back to California. So, yeah. um, All I right. mean, we'll have a different excuse then, anyways. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh man, these gas prices. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're not great. I know. I don't want to think. I'm going to like stock up gas in my car, <laughs> bring it's it a over big here. Filling container. <laughs> I'll just like drive to Arizona and stock up. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so let's get into this. So you got your drinks, or if you're like me, you got some water because got to stay hydrated. <laughs> also, my cats are going wild in the background. I so hear I'm nothing. Sorry. So. Okay, good. They're yelling outside the door. Oh, they're yelling. Ma! Uh, okay. So this movie, like I said, it's your pretty standard 1970s slasher and boobs. Um, lots of spurting blood. Like sometimes I'm like, is there even that much blood in the human body that is coming out of this body? Like, I think the alligator like eats an arm and it's just like spraying the whole like house with like crazy (laughs) amounts of blood. And you're like, that doesn't even seem possible. And there's like this redneck guy. That's just, I don't know. Beautiful. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Actually, you know what? Go watch it. So (laughs) it starts out pretty rough. Like the first scene like the very first scene of the movie is this man named Buck is in a brothel with a sex worker <laughs> named Clara and she's refusing anal sex. 
and he's like getting all pissed and he's like wrestling with her trying to do it this is the first scene you're like what the fuck am i watching? <laughs> like what are we watching yeah um, <laughs> and miss hattie is the brothel owner who is played by caroline carolyn jones which if you know that name she's the og morticia in the 1964 adams family uh she kicks clara out of the brothel because she's like listen man like you didn't do what the customer wanted you kind of made a scene he's one of our best paying customers so you gots to go (laughs) um so poor little Clara is with her suitcase, like looking for a new place to live. And I don't know what she's like stumbling through like the wild, like Florida forest area it looks like, but I think this is supposed to be in Texas or something. I'm not sure. Um, and she stumbles upon like literally the creepiest motel in like some backwoods area called the starlight hotel. Um, it's just, it reminds me of like, when you go to like Universal Studios, like Halloween Horror Nights, and they have like those big haunted houses with like fog machines pouring out and giant yeah. red lights inside, that's what this place looks like. Like it's like gray. It's obviously a movie set, obviously, but it's they have it backlit with like red lights and a lot of fog, and you could not pay me to stay in a place like that. Like if this was real life, because it just looks like a dump. Like. It actually looks like a lot of places I've seen out here in the South, to be honest. Like, where I'm like, <laughs> people would pay to stay there? Like, that's so sketch looking. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, she like goes in and she's just like, I need a place to stay. And like this very redneck guy that, I don't know, his vocabulary seems a little b- lacking, but he's just like, okay, like, let me take you to your room. And then he like realizes, Hey, you're one of Miss Hattie's girls. And then he just makes an advance at her. Like, Oh, you're, you're a sex worker. Come here. And so she like, you know, tries to defend herself and he does not like that. So she, they are like, have some wrestling for a second. They both stumble down the stairs. He's knocked out. She's of course injured and doing the whole slow crawl away with like one shoe on one shoe off. I'm going through the whole front like movie here. So spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> I know. <laughs> In case it. you wanted to watch In this case lovely you really film. want to watch this riveting film, which I did kind of get into like after this, because there is a little bit of a plot after this. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she like tries to crawl away, crawl away, but he like gets up and he uh, basically hacks her to death with like a gardening hoe. Um, And then he dumps her body in. He has like this giant fenced pond. It's got a big gate fence around it. And it's got a, apparently an African crocodile in it that he's very proud of. Is this his pet? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I guess he's just like African crocodile. Like they're the biggest and blah, blah, blah. Um, And like right after this scene, like, I don't know if it's the same day or the next day because you really have no concept of time because everything, the sky is like red throughout the whole movie, but like some family stops by to use the bathroom and to use the phone. Cause there's something wrong with their car or something. And they have a little dog and Oh no! I know the dog Snoopy <laughs> gets eaten. Just letting you know, Not Snoopy. Yeah, Snoopy. And they have like so it's like this married. I heard your dog bark. <laughs> She's about to get eaten. <laughs> but yeah, there was like it was like a married couple, and they had a little girl, and then like their dog, and the dog gets eaten. The little girl sees it, and it's like the super traumatic experience and so like the redneck innkeeper is like oh my gosh like go up to the room i'll take care of everything here and (laughs) it's super weird and like i honestly have no idea what's going on this family because then the mom like takes off her wig and she has like different colored hair and then all of a sudden she turns into like she starts like yelling at her husband and like berating him and being like you're not even a man and like it's super (laughs) weird like i'm like what is going on in this movie and then like it's just i don't know like they start acting like there's something wrong with them and then like i think the guy like the dad ends up like grabbing a gun and trying to go out there and like shoot the gator but then the innkeeper kills him and like the whole movie this little girl like 
gets under the house and she's like basically running away from the innkeeper the whole movie. The wife ends up chained up to a bed. The family of the first murdered girl are coming around trying to figure out what happened. It's it's this kind of all over the place. Wild. It's very wild. There's like a sheriff that's just like I feel like trying to hit on like the dead sister sister or I mean the, the dead girl's sister and it's just, oh, I was like, the dead sister. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That's why she's not responding, you know, man. Guys, you know, I got a 7 out of 10. <laughs> I was just going to make the agree with me. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's a really weird Bye. movie. There's, I don't know if the place is haunted or what, but anyways, the premise of this movie is this guy's obviously a low key serial killer. And yeah. if he ever has a problem, he just feeds it to his giant crocodile. Um, <laughs> and it's like weird. Like they try to like, you know, it's the seventies and I feel like they try yeah. to like give like him like oh he's a villain and so they have like nazi memorabilia like in his room like this is what villain villains have like i don't know it's just it's very interesting um take on stuff so definitely one of his earlier films i think he got better <laughs> over time because <laughs> poltergeist you know has poltergeist also kind of has, poltergeist is wild yeah <laughs> i was like thinking about it, like, poltergeist also wild but like that one kind of has like the blood all classic, over the place you know too. it's just yeah it's so weird but, I think the creepy old little lady from Poltergeist with the high-pitched voice. Yes. That one at least has, like, a little bit more of a storyline I could follow. This one, it takes yeah. a while to know, like, because there's not What's much dialogue. On. It's just... Interesting. It's very interesting. So, anyways. So, anyways. This movie is loosely based on the supposed real-life serial killer who would feed people to his alligators. Jump, yeah. Joseph Douglas Ball, Joe Ball, is believed to be an American serial killer who killed between 5 and 14 plus women in the 1930s. <laughs> it's quite the jump. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, anywhere between them. Um, in Elmendorf, Bexing County, Texas. He was also known as the Butcher of Elmendorf or the Alligator Man, <laughs> which I like, um, yeah. or Bluebeard of South Texas. We say believed, and we will let you decide that for yourself at the end of the episode. Um, so now over time, his story becomes more of a bedtime, like spooky tale or a ghost story around a campfire. Kind of like was. how most stories evolve, I feel like, over time. Yeah. Yeah. If enough time passes in between, like things get made up and yeah, like Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. I mean, that happened, but yeah. <laughs> like a lot of the lore around it. Yeah. Um, uh, so he he was and still is kind of a boogeyman or a Jack the Ripper of Texas. Um, but thankfully to Michael Hall, editor of the Austin Chronicle, we now have pieces of Joe Ball's life and we can tell a story um, with those pieces. Michael Hall sought out surviving witnesses, relatives, and other details about Joe Ball. And this information was published in a July 1st, 2002 issue of Texas Monthly Magazine. Which is pretty much where I got most of this information from. I initially discovered uh, the story of Joe Ball, like, from, I don't even know, like, some random clip of, like, 10 wild serial killers or whatever. And then I was like, holy shit, this guy's crazy. And then, like, I looked more into it and, like, pretty much all all the information I have is coming from this article, which mm -hmm. is he did an excellent job at researching it. And like I said, he talked or like you said, <laughs> you read um, like you wrote. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, but I wrote. Um, <laughs> like it's all a lot coming from, you know, firsthand. He's lucky that a lot of these witnesses were still alive. He I actually mean, interviewed also guys. Joe Ball's nephew, I believe. So there's just, I feel like nice. this is a pretty accurate, um, as accurate as we can get because yeah. like a lot of the stuff over time did turn into more. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. In the late 1800s, the state of Texas was a wide open frontier with thousands of acres of unsettled land. Around 1885, Frank Ball moved to Elmendorf, Texas, which is a small town 15 miles southeast of San Antonio. It wouldn't become an official town um, for a little bit. Frank Ball borrowed money from the bank and opened a factory 
to process cotton. So pretty soon after the railroad ran tracks through town, Frank's business boomed. I'm rich, baby. <laughs> no, booming. All on that cotton. All that cotton. So he started buying, in addition to running his cotton business, he started buying and selling properties throughout the area. So he was in real estate. And then he eventually opened a general store in town, which kind of became like, thing doing everything with all, yeah he was basically mm-hmm. like he developed this town basically so like there wasn't really much here and then he opened this cotton factory and then he started like buying buildings and you know etc and then this general store so he built this town um frank and his wife elizabeth they raised eight children dang they populated the town too oh yeah they populated <laughs> too and every one of those children <laughs> prospered and several became important figures in the community. So Frank Jr. worked for the school district and became a trustee in 1914. His brother Raymond opened his own grocery store and in 1926 married a local teacher, Jane Terrell, who was later appointed, fun fact, by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1940 as postmaster. And he served the community there for 27 years. Um, so they were an uh, up-and-coming family, that that ball family. <laughs> they really got the ball rolling. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. All right. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yes. Uh, Frank and Elizabeth's second child, Joseph D. Ball, was D. born Ball's on the <laughs> Dick. <laughs> I don't. I couldn't really figure out what the D was for. So Dickenball. Yes, something. <laughs> oh God, so dumb. All right. He was born on January seventh, eighteen ninety six. Throughout his childhood, Joe kept to himself and rarely participated in activities with other kids. He preferred to spend his time outdoors, fishing and exploring. Um, as he got older, he started showing an interest in guns and firearms. Oh, God. Um, I mean, it was all from Texas, though, so I don't know. And then it know. came and blasted. <laughs> anyway, I started blasting. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. We're watching um, a lot of It's Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia lately. <laughs> so funny. Um, he would spend hours every week practicing and perfecting his shooting skills. And then when World War One broke out in 1917, Joe enlisted. Chance. <laughs> I know. He was like, I could shoot people legally. Oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, Joe enlisted and he was soon sent to France to fight on the front lines. Uh, there's no record of what he did during his time in the military. But in 1919, he was honorably discharged and then sent back home. When he returned, he tried working for his dad for a little bit, but he soon quit. It seemed he had a lot of trouble adjusting back to a, the normal civilian life, which, you know, was the very, po- uh, I was to say popular, <laughs> very common back then. It's a very um, popular condition. It's very popular to come back with major PTSD. If you don't, you're not popular. <laughs> no, but, you know, I mean, war is going to cause that. So. I don't think, too, that, like we really understood PTSD. I mean, we did, no. definitely did not understand no. PTSD at that time. No, definitely and not. that war was insane. So, yeah, it was insane. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, living in foxholes and trenches for weeks on end and being surrounded by a whole bunch of dead bodies and disease and all of that. So, no, thanks. I, yeah, no, I would be coming back not okay, too. So, Uh, Shortly after this, in 1920, Prohibition era began. Joe quickly saw um, what money he could make as a whiskey and a beer bootlegger. So he traveled all over to sell whiskey from a 50-gallon barrel in his Model A Ford. (laughs) He's all just puttering down the street. Want a lick of whiskey? (laughs) Yeah, basically. So a few years later, he hired a young man named Clifton Wheeler to help with business. Um... Uh, Clifton Wheeler was a black man, so this was kind of like, this was an opportunity for him. He was very handy. Um, He was kind of a little displaced in this area. I mean, we're in Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he was a handyman by trade, but uh, Wheeler quickly found himself doing most of the labor and Mm -hmm. dirty work. Um, Not so much of an assistant, I feel like. Uh, it was said later that Wheeler lived in fear of Joe 
and that whenever Joe was drunk, that he would blow off steam by shooting at Wheeler's feet, making him dance the jitterbug. Oh my god. Yeah. Dance. <laughs> not great. <laughs> that was a dance was not great. Um, When the Prohibition era ended in 1933, Joe opened a tavern. In the back were two bedrooms, and up front was a bar, and they had a player piano and a room with tables. So men would come, they would drink, they'd play cards. Sometimes he would host cockfights. Um, It was just (laughs) a wild (laughs) kind of situation (laughs) here. And at some point, he went to one of the near, like, low water areas where alligators were occasionally seen, and he caught some of them, and he put them in a concrete pool behind the tavern. He strung up wire about 10 feet up high around the pool, um, basically making a very much what would now be an illegal (laughs) alligator exhibit for customers. Um, and he would even do like a live feeding show, which this, I'm so sorry, Katie, maybe don't listen to this, but apparently on Saturday nights, everyone would get drunk and they would just throw whatever animal was around in this tank <laughs> to watch it. So it didn't matter if it was a possum, a rabbit, a squirrel, a cat, and yes, even dogs um, that didn't have like an owner. Like if I imagine some dog be like, is anyone's dog? Nope. I'd be right. like, it's mine. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, And people would like get crazy and rowdy and like be all in on this on a Saturday night. I mean, I don't really know what else there's to do around here. Thank God for the internet, man. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) This is wild. This guy's like shooting. This guy could have done like (laughs) cockfights. This guy could have benefited from YouTube or something. It literally is wild because this is like the (laughs) 1900s. And this literally sounds like it's coming out of like a Clint Eastwood Western. <clears throat> so it's just a wild area here. Um, so he also hired women to come and literally be like the Wild West, like dance hall girls to wait on tables. Um, so again, this this was like a full on saloon. Like mm-hmm. it's what it was. And it was also like we we're coming out of the depression. So it's hard times. So a lot of women were coming into town to look for work and some stayed and some seemed to disappear. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> Eat alive. In 1934, uh, Joe started seeing Minnie Gotthard, also known as Big Minnie. <laughs> I start calling Minerva <laughs> Big Minnie. Uh, she's little. Big Minnie was described as bossy, displeasing, and obnoxious. <laughs> Horrible. I know. <laughs> she probably was just a woman speaking her feelings. Yes. Well, let's be honest. Like, this is 1934 in Texas. She's probably like, uh, actually, could you not hit me? And yeah. Wow, you're obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. Could you not uh, spit in my face? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. Don't be so bossy. You should smile more. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> I remember working at Starbucks and people would say like, you should smile more. And it's like, okay. I'm covered in milk. <laughs> I mean, like, I was always a happy person. So like that, but I felt like it was always like the men that were like, it's always been. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Just trying to insinuate like, Oh, you'd be so much prettier if you like smiled or there's that pretty smile. Like, it's just the way yeah. that I'm like, Ugh, get well, out. I didn't have braces. I'm keeping my teeth to myself. <laughs> so, oh my God. Put a chip in the jar. Give me something to smile about. Um, anyways, Joe liked her, and so she helped run the bar with Joe and Wheeler. She had no problem dealing with drunks, um, and then sometime later, Joe started dating one of the waitresses, Dolores Buddy Goodwin, who was 15 years younger than him. Typical. She fell in love with him even after one night in the spring of 1937 when he threw a bottle and hit her in the face, giving her a scar that ran from her eye to her neck. So, Joe was about six feet tall, 160 pounds. Some crime magazine described him as being good-looking, while other accounts say he was average. Nothing about his appearance was particularly alluring. So, I'm going to blame this on, like, desert island syndrome. <laughs> like, he's just the best that this place has to offer. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Too many cocktails. Daddy issues. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody's drunk. Yeah. Um, it's hot. Yeah. Everyone's drunk. It's dusty. Yeah. This is a tall... I get it. He's six feet. They just see the six <laughs> feet and they're like, I'm all right, cool. I'm, 
I guess we get Joe Ball over here. He's got a job. <laughs> He's an entrepreneur, business owner. Yeah. Um, he likes to keep animals around. He likes pets. Uh, for the reasons. I don't know. I'd be like, okay, there's Joe Dick and Balls, who's six feet. Or there's like Frank, whatever his name, who's like five five. Like, okay. He might throw a bottle at you, but. He's six feet. <laughs> He's six feet, though. <laughs> now, Buddy, she was well-liked by pretty much everyone and became good friends with another waitress named Hazel Brown Shotzi, uh, who was close in age to her. They were both about 22 years old or so. But Big Minnie, she was not a fan because this was her man's. So from what we can tell, Big Minnie was not afraid to speak her mind or show her dislike for Buddy. And later that summer, Big Minnie disappeared. So Joe told somebody that she was pregnant in Corpus Christi somewhere in a hospital. Wheeler said he heard Joe tell someone that she was going to have a baby and must have skipped town in a big hurry um, because she left all her clothes behind, which I'm like, yeah, right. Unless a millionaire is swooping me up and taking me shopping first, like in Pretty Woman. I am not going to leave all my clothes behind. Right. Like I packed 20 pairs of underwear for a three-day trip. I'm not leaving Seriously. it all behind. Like, Seriously. If all my underwear is there, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is dead. Yeah. Bring an extra underwear. Even if I'm going on body. my way out, I'll bring an extra underwear because you don't know. I'm not getting <laughs> caught with some dirty panties. So. Oh, my God. I don't know what that is because every time I pack two, I bring literally like every single pair of underwear I own. And it's like, I I'm just, only going to be gone two days. In case, you know. <laughs> what if case. I shit myself every two days? What seconds? if you shit yourself? <laughs> what if you pee your pants? What if you, I don't know, one underwear, like there's underwear too where I'm like, this one gives me a line so I can't wear it with yeah. this outfit. So, you know. And you never know. And I'm like, I'll forget my toothbrush. But thankfully I have 40 pairs yeah. of underwear. <laughs> All right. So in September, Joe married Buddy and he revealed to her his secret that he had taken Minnie to the beach and killed her. He's like, happy honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) How did that even come up? Like, right. Now that we're man and wife. Now that we're man and wife. (laughs) um, He said that it was so she couldn't make any more trouble for them. So Buddy went and told Hazel Brown about Minnie's murder. She actually told her a couple of times. I like remember, remember she's dead. Remember, I married uh, to a murderer, right? Like, uh, okay. Um, so in January 1938, Buddy's left arm was cut off from a serious car wreck injury. But as you can imagine, stories flew around the town that Joe's alligator had ripped it off and he had cut it off and fed it to the alligators. I mean, I'd spread um, that rumor. <laughs> I don't like it was the alligator. It was them gators. A few months later in April, Buddy disappeared. Around the same time, Hazel Brown started dating Joe. And then soon after that, she also disappeared. Yikes. So later in the year, in that year, which is September of 1938, a man went to Bexar County Deputy Sheriff John Gray, and he told him that he had discovered a foul-smelling barrel covered in flies that Joe Ball had left behind his sister's barn. He said it smelled like something dead was inside. So the next day, the deputy Gray and, or the sheriff, deputy sheriff Gray and deputy John Klemenhagen, I believe is how you say that. They drove out to go talk to this man. Um, Klemenhagen, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, (laughs) will later become a Texas Ranger. So fun fact, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was in the article and I was like, whatever, I'll include this. Uh, and he was a hunting buddy of Joe's. So Joe had some friends in some high places here, basically. And, you know, I think because everyone probably went to that tavern or saloon or mm-hmm. whatever and drank and their the balls were away. like the big men around town. So I'm sure yeah. everybody knew the family. And that too, like they ran that town. Yeah. So uh, they went to the barn, but the barrel was gone. So they went to the tavern to talk to Joe. Joe denied knowing anything about it, but when they all returned to the barn, his sister corroborated the old man's story and said, 
yeah, no, there was something here. There was a barrel here. Um, so that was enough for the deputies to basically go back and like arrest Joe or at least bring him in for questioning. <clears throat> so uh, since a few women in Joe's life had disappeared, they felt like this was something they should investigate, which I find it very odd that like they didn't think to investigate this earlier. They're just like, like one or two women, and they're expendable. Yeah, like I Three, mean, I guess we should. <laughs> apparently, it seemed like there were, you know, some <clears throat> other waitresses that maybe had gone missing too before this love triangle square, whatever shape it is. Uh, so I don't know, it's just kind of weird to me. But <clears throat> so they go down, and um, Joe asks first, like, so they go, they go back to the tavern, they talk to Joe. Hey, Joe, we need to talk to you. So Joe's like, Hey, can I? Uh, can I have a beer first before, you know, before you take me in and like close down Reasonable. the place? And the sheriffs are like, all right, sure. Like we'll go to the bar. Joe gets a beer. He takes a few sips and then he opens his register. And when he opens it, he pulls out a 45 from under the counter and he waved it at the deputies who yelled don't. And they went for their own pistols just as Joe turned and pointed it at his heart and he pulled the trigger and <clears> killed himself <throat> right there in the bar. Sounds guilty so, to me. Sound pretty damn guilty. So now that the tavern was officially a crime scene, police explored the property. There were five gators in the pool and they checked all of them in the surrounding area near the pool, which had a lot of rotting meat. I bet that smell was horrible. Pungent. <laughs> They found an axe matted with blood and hair. Their first theory was an obvious one, that Joe had killed and mutilated his wife and other victims and fed them to the alligators. The cops talked about other disappearances, including two other missing waitresses and a 16-year-old boy who hung out at Joe's. Perhaps the Sunday night feeding frenzies had been a cover or or Sunday or blah. Perhaps the Saturday night feeding frenzies have been a cover for Sunday night murders. Um, maybe the old bootlegging barrel barrels now held alligator food. Dun, dun, dun. And then you got to remember there's that jitterbug dancing wheeler. So he had been taken by the police for questioning and it did not take long for him to start spilling the beans on everything he knew. He said that Hazel Brown, which was the last girl that went missing, uh, she had started dating someone else, one of the customers at the bar, and this man was going to sweep her off her feet, take her to a good home and a good job, but Joe did not like that, and he did not want her to leave at all. When it, He didn't want to hear about it at all. So she threatened to tell the police about him killing Big Minnie if he didn't let her go. Big mistake. Joe killed her. Wheeler said he knew where she was buried. So he led the police to an area, which was about three miles from the town, on a bluff, some 300 feet from the San Antonio River. By the light of a campfire, he began to dig. Blood bubbled up in the dirt, and the odor became unbearable. Wheeler pulled up two arms. I just imagine him, like, casually doing this, just, like, right. oh, here's digging in the dirt and, like, here's an arm, here's an arm, and two more legs, and then finally a torso. And it was such a gnarly Ugh. sight and smell that apparently, like, all the officers were, like, throwing up, like, all over the place. I mean, I don't think they were expecting. They probably were expecting, first of all, a body in one piece. Yeah. And this guy's just like, oh, here's another arm. Oh, here's a torso. Oh, and here's her leg. And, like, just horrible. And in Texas heat, like, I can't even imagine. So the only thing that was missing was her head. And they asked him where that was. And he pointed over at an old like campfire remains that was like nearby. And after carefully sifting through the campfire, the police found a jawbone, some teeth and pieces of a skull. Then Wheeler tells the police how this all happened, which I also find interesting that he showed him the body first. And he's like, all right, let me tell you the story now. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Now um, that we got the body, let's sit down. <laughs> yeah, let's sit down. Can have Not a beer. <laughs> like, um, so he says after a night of very heavy drinking, Wheeler said he was getting pretty shit-faced, that Joe asks him to load up the car with blankets and beer. And he saw that Joe had a saw, an axe, and a post-hole digger with him, as well as his pistol. Which I'm just like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> was, I don't right? know. So they went to his sister's barn, stopping along the way to drink, and they picked up... Uh, 
a 55-gallon iron barrel, which they took to the river. Joe forced Wheeler at gunpoint to dig a grave, and then they opened the barrel, and out came Hazel's body. So that barrel that was behind his sister's barn did have a body in it. And if the police had gotten there sooner, they would have found this. But um, he went and removed it before they could see that barrel there. So... Out comes Hazel's body. Wheeler refuses to help Joe dismember the corpse. And so Joe tries to do it himself. But he gets super enraged when her hands get in the way of sawing off her head. That Wheeler (laughs) reached over and held down Hazel's hand um, so that he could finish doing this. And then helps further by holding her arms and legs while his boss slowly sawed into pieces hazel brown's body they both apparently got very sick to their stomachs and threw up and then drank more and then buried the corpse and then they threw the head and her clothes in the campfire and then like just hung around this campfire until dawn broke and drank more beer and then they went back to the bar which i'm like what the fuck kind of like yeah like what the fuck Oh, let's just go back to the bar now. (laughs) I mean, how heavy were you drinking, too, to be able to, like, do any of that? Even if, like, your boss is there, like, I don't know. Like, to me, I'm just like, what the hell? Like, I don't don't even know. It's very weird. So, Wheeler said that Hazel Brown was accusing Joe of murdering Buddy. And he struck her with his pistol on the head which probably killed her. So at first he like got angry and like hit her on the head with the pistol. But then when she fell over and that blow to the head probably killed her, he went ahead and like shot her just to make sure she actually was dead. Um, Wheeler also knew what happened to Big Minnie. He said that the previous June, Joe told Wheeler to pack the Model A coupe and to be sure to stow again plenty of whiskey and beer. So then he took Minnie and Wheeler to Ingleside near Corpus Christi, which is like he found a secluded area and there was like water and stuff. And after a lot of like swimming and drinking, he asked Minnie to take her clothes off, which Wheeler at this point kind of made himself scarce and probably went off in like the shrubs or something around. I don't know. Really weird situation all around. And then Joe called for more whiskey and Wheeler noticed that when uh, his boss asked for whiskey, his boss, um, Joe had his pistol by his side and Joe pointed off in the distance so that Minnie could like look and like when Minnie turned to look at what Joe was pointing at, he shot her in the temple of her head. Um, And Wheeler, meanwhile, is over here like pouring some whiskey out of a barrel and sees all this like transpire. And I was like, what the hell? Um, I guess Joe tells Wheeler, like, I had no choice. She was pregnant, but I've started seeing Buddy now. So, like, I can't have that get in the way. And then he buried, uh, they both buried Minnie in that beach area and then drove back to Elmendorf. Police officers questioned Wheeler about other women, and they found a packet of letters as well as a scrapbook with photos of dozens of women. (laughs) Yeah. This, said Chief Chief Deputy Sheriff J.W. Davis, might lead to the discovery of one or a dozen more murders. The San Antonio Papers wrote of the disappearance of more than a dozen barmaids, including Stella, who had had a fight with Joe about Big Minnie. The sheriffs also had a theory that Joe was dealing drugs and that it would have been a simple matter to put the drugs in bottles and store it in the gator's lair. They drained the pool, but they didn't find anything. Police began digging in the sand four miles southeast of Ingleside. They took heavy machinery and hired local laborers, and hundreds of people came and watched. A local merchant set up a stand and began selling cold drinks. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a I show saw for pictures everybody. of this. Like, it's it was crazy. just this, like, yeah, there's all these people on the beach watching while they're digging up a body. And, like, oh, this I guy's like, a body. Like, like, ice cold Pepsi Cola, five cents a pop. Get your popcorn. Get your popcorn. Get your popcorn. See your body. Get your popcorn. Again, <laughs> we have the internet now, so. Yeah. <laughs> we got Netflix now. <laughs> yeah. 
newspapers were reported that um, the other dunes looked suspiciously like burial mounds and mysterious shapes were seen walking around at night. On October 14th, they found the remains of Big Minnie well preserved in the deep, cold sand. During this time, Buddy, who had mysteriously vanished before Hazel Brown's murder, was found. She was alive and well, living in sunny San Diego, California. She had apparently fled from Joe and went to live with her sister. Detectives brought her back to help tie up loose ends on the case, and on their way back, they actually found one of the other missing waitresses in Phoenix, Arizona. So some of them that he was said to have killed were found alive. Yeah. Uh, The alligators in his pond, they ended up uh, being relocated to the San Antonio Zoo. (laughs) Happy ending for them. Happy ending (laughs) for them. Um, I feel like now we would just kill them because that's what I feel like we're just doing now all the time. I know. Um, Oh, it touched a human. Let's put it out of its misery. Yeah. Uh, Wheeler received two years in jail for being an accessory to murder, which I feel like... (laughs) You should have got more, man. I think so, too. Like, while I understand that he said he was scared of Joe and, like, I also feel like he could have left. I don't feel like Joe was keeping him prisoner on his property. Like, this guy was just probably a drunk, honestly. And... I don't know. I, I feel like he probably had a little bit more blame than he's saying. And I mm-hmm. think that he just decided to pile it all on the Joe because Joe shot himself. So mm-hmm. I don't know. A little sus there. But yeah, so he did two years. When he got out, he opened a bar in the same town for a little while, which I find crazy. <laughs> um, and then I guess <laughs> he was go like, there. yeah, like what the hell? And then he just like up and left and was never heard from again like just became a ghost so (laughs) so began the wild tales of the infamous alligator man a man who murdered several women for sport and fed them to his human blood craving gators magazines like true detective and the encyclopedia of serial killers and america's most vicious criminals built up the story of joe ball the stories grew and mistakes continued like how Joe shot himself in the head instead of the chest or how his handyman was named Wilfred Sneed and how Sneed said that he had cut up 20 women and how chunks of human flesh were found in the pool, etc., etc. So, I mean, seems like all good bedtime stories. <laughs> but yeah, so this started to get a little chaotic, get a little bit out of control. So it's a little bit hard to know what is totally accurate and what is not. Michael Hall mentions this article from 1938 that says, according to um, the article, it says something called the Sheriff's Association magazine is what the article is from, um, that the mysterious packet of letters found by the police contained one from Big Minnie telling uh, Joe Ball saying, I am still willing to break up you and Buddy if it's the last thing I do. Uncle Henry and I are going to take you to jail as soon as he gets here. I'm going to testify as to what I know. Dot, dot, dot. So what did Big Minnie know? Like, what we know is Big Minnie for sure. We know that Joe killed Big Minnie for sure. As far as we know, that could have been the first murder he committed. Yeah. But what does she know? So was it, does she know about more bodies? Does she know about gators? We're just not going to know at this point. Because Big Minnie's gone. There were plenty of other tales too. Like one of an old man who in 1932 had stumbled onto Joe tossing a woman's body into the pool. According to local lore, Joe threatened the man into leaving town. He fled to California and returned only after Joe was dead. Others claimed to have seen Ball throwing pieces of human flesh into the pit. Ultimately, of course, it's impossible to prove um, he didn't, even though most of the missing women were accounted for, usually in San Antonio. Some never were. Never were. Um, and even though no human remains were found in the alligator pond, that didn't mean Ball didn't have, like, the cleaned it up all up. And even though Wheeler's only eye- eyewitness to Ball's crimes never said anything about the alligators, that didn't mean he didn't know how to keep his mouth shut and, you know, when he had to. 
So, um, I mean, Joe was a violent, sadistic drunk known for throwing stray pets to his alligators at a one-armed missing wife, one hacked-up girlfriend, and another buried in the sand. Who knows how many stray women coming and going, um, you know, if he killed more. Yeah. I think if anybody's willing to throw a dog into a pet, they're willing to do much worse. <laughs> I mean, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah. So, his ex-wife, Buddy, tried to set the record straight in a 1957 art interview. Joe never put no people in the alligator tank, she said. Joe wouldn't do a thing like that. He wasn't no horrible monster. Joe was sweet, kind, good man, and he never hurt nobody unless he was driven to it. <laughs> Just murdered two people, one of them being a pregnant woman, but you know. Yeah. No, he, he was sweet. <laughs> Referring to the scar on her face, she said, he didn't even mean to cut me. He was throwing the bottle at another guy. Oh, they were okay. just <laughs> that makes it better. There were just two murders, she said. <laughs> a lot of Joe's family and friends agree and don't believe that alligators ever consumed human meat. Yeah. Just two, just two murders. That's it. Yeah. That's not that bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're not a serial killer until you commit three, right? <laughs> yeah. So Joe's nephew, Bucky, he has his uncle's World War One portrait and a 48-star flag given to the family after his death. Um, he keeps them in, or he kept them, in a glass case in his living room. Bucky also served in the U.S. military, and he was a 24-year-old veteran. Um, and he went to counseling at Brook Army Medical Center at Fort Sam Houston. And so he felt like his uncle's experience in the war had something to do with his actions after, which, yeah, totally. I could see I'm that. Sure. Yeah. Um, he's quoted saying, my dad told me that after my uncle came back from the war, he was different. I guess what you see and do comes back to you. Um, my counselor tells me that your brain's like a tape and the stuff is in, is on your brain. It'll never go away. Uh, Bucky passed in 2017, but he did not believe that his uncle was some crazed, murderous alligator man. Here's the thing, Bucky. He is a murderous man. He murdered <laughs> two people. Like, I don't okay. care if he fed him to the alligators or not. Like, yeah. he murdered two people. He That's enough for me. <laughs> now, That's not normal behavior. Like, I am sure that he had the war messed him up and changed him and PTSD and, you know, everything like that. But not everybody with PTSD chops up and shoots pregnant women and stuff like that. Like, so he killed these two women in a year. Yeah. Like, that's pretty – I mean, from what we know and what we have learned about other serial killers, like – usually does not happen that quickly like for no. your first murder you don't like martyr so and wallies were not like well, i don't know actually big minis was premeditated now that i think about it um i don't know like it'd be one thing if big minis was like this accident right like he's drunk and he snaps and then just like ah and then like accidentally kills her and then kind of goes from there but he premeditated he drove her out there he like planned you know this whole thing he even had her clothes removed so that it would be easier for her to be buried like yeah to me i want to lean more in like he's, he's done it before done it before yeah. yeah yeah i would say the same i do think with the uh hazel brown that that probably was like a fit of rage and then shit i killed her well all right I'll fucking yeah, kill I'll her. Not her like, oh, make sure she's okay. Like, you know what? Pfft, too late. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Just hack her to pieces here and stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know. Did he feed anyone to the alligators? Probably not. I don't. I don't really. I don't really think so because I feel like if he'd fed people to alligators, why wouldn't he do that with Big Minnie? Or yeah, like why did he just chop them up and bury him? Yeah, like he could have just fed them to the alligators. So. I feel like that was just because he had that weird quirk of having alligators and feeding animals to them, which isn't a weird quirk. It's just fucking psychotic. But yeah. like, and these alligators like, were yeah. not like ginormous alligators. So in the movie Eat Alive, this guy's alligators like this massive, <laughs> like placid size. Yeah, like yeah. he's massive. Uh, yeah. The gators that Joe had, he had five like little ones. Um, so they were probably, you know less than 10 years old and, and not very big like, they were small enough for him to catch them and then keep them in there yeah um and to be honest like it's probably not the best way to dispose of bodies <laughs> <laughs> 
Probably not. Probably not. They just found a body in a gator here in Florida. Like a oh. woman's hand was like hanging out of a gator and they're looking into that. I need to see what's going on there. What I feel bad I about. Just, <laughs> I just picture Zero and Finding Nemo and he's all. <laughs> he sucks the fish bones back up. And oh, <laughs> yeah. Where's your friend? Hello, <laughs> chum for chum, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. What's sad, though, is like they, they ended up killing the gator. Aww. And I'm like, did they kill the gator because they think the gator had a taste for human flesh? Or did they... Like, I don't understand. I feel like they all do. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I don't predators. like... I don't understand sometimes why certain animals get put down. Like, there was a... I think it was a bear recently that they put down because <laughs> they said this mother and child were attacked, but I think the mother and child were antagonizing the bear. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they were. I've seen those stupid videos of people messing with an- wild animals when the wild animal gets killed. Yeah. Because people are dumb. Like, you're in their territory. Leave them alone. Like the buffalo. When they fine. get too close exactly. to take a picture and then they're like, well, now we got to kill it. And it's like... Yeah. I mean, I guess Kill the, the people. Buffalo, Kill the people. Oh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I saw people posting that on, uh, <laughs> on the National Parks. I'm like, shoot the person that took the picture. Because what happened with the, that one from, I think it was Yellowstone, is like the baby buffalo had got touched by a human. So it had mm-hmm. human scent on it and its family would not accept it again. Yeah. So they killed it. But I'm like, why couldn't we have, like, relocated, relocated it, it or, like, put it in a zoo or something? I don't understand. Yeah, or taking care of it in a facility and then re-released it in the wild once it was old enough to take care of itself. Like, If someone understands this, can you, like, please email me? Because I don't understand it. It makes me sad to think about. Like, I know. I always joke about, like, oh, I, I'm going to go hug this wild animal or I can't wait to go and pet some of the – like, I wouldn't do that, obviously. One, because <laughs> I don't want to die. But two, like, I don't want the animal to die. So just don't touch things. You're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Just don't let them be. They were here first. So. And they'll be here last. <laughs> <laughs> Alligators probably will. Those things are dinosaurs. So. I know. I know. <clears throat> so yeah. So that is the alligator man story that inspired the movie Eaten Alive. I just picture the movie <laughs> being like... <laughs> The trailer eaten alive. <laughs> it might be. They don't find the trailer and post it or something. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm definitely gonna post pictures of like all the craziness. So there's pictures like when they were trying to, you know, find Minnie's body and like the, all these people the like sideshow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a picture too of that person selling the cola or popcorn or whatever. So I will post that if I can find it. But <laughs> Wild story. Um, I definitely, yeah. I I think he was. Well, he obviously he a hundred percent was a murderous man because he murdered two people. Like, yeah. you cannot. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, he did. Like, so he's a murderer. Do I think he's killed more than two people? Yes, I do. Um, do I think he fed them to alligators? Probably not, but maybe. Yeah, but probably yeah. not. I, yeah. think I don't think he did, but. Them. So, um, yeah, I think also that Wheeler knows more or did more. So, yeah, I could maybe, see them being, maybe uh, someone knew his secret. And that's why he left town. Yeah, they were a tag team. A tag team. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, uh, my sources for this was pretty much one source, um, and that was Texas Monthly, the July 2002 issue by Michael Hall. You can check that out still. Um, and then the movie Live, which is from 1976. So that's interesting. That is it. If you no. want to find it out, ruin the whole plot for you, uh, feel <laughs> free to watch that. I try to remember what the heck I watched it on. It might have been on Amazon, actually. It sounds like something that was probably on there. I watched <laughs> in the middle of the day, like I was working remotely, and I was just like watching this, and I'm like, this is an interesting, crazy movie. <laughs> All those 70s horror movies are. Yeah. <laughs> What's like, our next movie again? It is things... things Heard and Seen. All right. So be sure to watch that one ahead for our episode next That's week. That's on Netflix. 
I canceled Netflix because Netflix sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Because they start charging everybody. (laughs) Yes. It's so dumb. Like, so my parents have Netflix and I was using their Netflix like a lot of you guys are. We were using my in-laws and then my father-in-law texted and was like, "Uh, I got this email from Netflix saying they're going to start charging. So Taylor's like, yeah, we'll we'll get off. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't even do that. It just like, it popped up and was like on my TV and was like, hey, you're not a part of this household. Um, Do you want to set up your own account? And I was like, what the fuck? I'm still family. (laughs) I know. You're ripping our family apart. Here's my here's my thing. We'll end on this little bicker here. (laughs) I feel like Netflix, you're fucking petty, first of all. Like you are making so much money. Get over yourself. Like, I just it's the stupidest thing to me. But if it's really that big of a deal, then I feel like they should have a cap. So like Disney Plus has a cap on how many accounts you can have and how many um devices you can have yeah it's like seven or eight or something like that i don't know i think i'm filled up (laughs) (laughs) like to me i'm like netflix should be like (laughs) that it should be you know maybe only this many devices yeah to have this account yeah not like you don't live in the same house so no like it's just it's so stupid i guess there's a loophole like my friend was like oh if you like log in on your laptop it can't say you're not in that household because you could be traveling. And I'm just like, that's too much work. Cause then I'm going to hit the laptop, the laptop up to the TV. And then yeah, I'm not going to do that. I just... stupid. So I'm yeah. kind of like protesting right now. <laughs> Taylor and I just have our own account, but it's like, we're such bums. We suck off of everybody else's other streaming. So I'm just like, well, if we're only paying for Netflix and Disney. So <laughs> it's so I mean, I pay for Hulu. Yeah, um, and that fits my needs. I accidentally paid for Discovery Plus for two months. I use my aunts. I just had to <laughs> cancel that because I'm like, what is this charge? And I realized I was. It's one of those things where I did like a week for free and then forgot to cancel it. Yeah, yeah. I do oh, that with so many happens. things. It's the worst. Yeah, but yeah, we we had Apple TV for like six months for free through our T-Mobile, and I just got a text saying that it's going to be turned off and i was like oh i don't think i ever used it okay so <laughs> i got free apple tv also we're totally going on a tangent here yeah. um but send it up so you can turn us off if you want to yeah. but <laughs> i got apple tv when i got my new tv and it was the same thing you get six months for free so i went through the whole process of like signing up and etc and there's like nothing you can watch on there. You have to pay for like everything on there, basically. Hell no. It was like all the Hell movies. No. It, it had like new movies. So it was like, pay to rent this $25. And I'm like, okay, like, what do you have that I can watch? And it'd be like some shit movie or like one channel. And I was like, this is stupid. I just went back to like my Roku channel. I'm like, I have everything right here for free. Like, I don't. Yeah, I don't need this. this. I don't need this crap. I don't need this. Anyways, uh, so if you don't have Netflix, get Netflix to watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or just download it. I'm sure it's somewhere. (laughs) Download it illegally. No, we don't. We don't condone that. You know what? Go to your local blockbuster or Hollywood (laughs) Video. Oh wait, you can't do that anymore. This Um, is also a Netflix original, so I don't even know. Never mind. Okay, so you have to go on Netflix to watch this. Yeah. Or wait, is this the one where she's like deaf and blind? No. <laughs> Never mind. I'm thinking of something else. Okay. Anyways, I need to watch That's this. Like, movie Helen somewhere. Keller? <laughs> no, there's a scary movie. I think I we talked about it when, you did. like last you did. week. Yeah. Where she's like, she's either deaf or blind or both, and someone gets this into her house. This is things heard and seen. Top of oh, I thought you said unheard. <laughs> That's the other one. She's unheard. That out of the episode. <laughs> On that note, um, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.